0: Well, this morning, I wanna begin our time together with a little thought experiment. I wanna throw out two scenarios to you for your consideration, and just so you know, I'm not gonna be asking for a show of hands. I don't want you to blurt anything out, but I do want you to quietly ponder in your heart which of these two scenarios you would rather have, okay? Sound good? Well, let's begin with scenario one. In scenario A, you get to have a spouse who regularly and liberally dotes on you whenever you are out in public. Each and every year on your birthday or perhaps on an anniversary, they post an absolute book on social media going on and on and on about how wonderful you are and how attractive and loving and perfect you are. When you go to parties with friends, they wait on you hand and foot They're sweet, they're kind, they're charming, and they treat you like royalty. But whenever you're at home, whenever you're in private, whenever no one is around, they seem to not even notice you. When in the privacy of your own home, no affection is shown, no attention is given, and you just sort of seem to go unnoticed, overlooked, and ignored. Well, that's scenario A let's now turn our attention to scenario B. Well, what's scenario B? Scenario B is really just a mirror image of scenario A. Because you see, in scenario B, you have a spouse who is kind and tender and head over heels for you, but only at home. In scenario B, whenever you're at home, whenever you're in private, your spouse is attentive, They're supportive, they're courteous, they're sweet, they're thoughtful. I mean, it seems like they're just always paying you compliments. They're always going out of their way to express their love for you. But here's the catch, they avoid going out in public with you at all costs. Yeah, it seems as if the love and affection that they give seems to be confined exclusively to private settings. And on the rare occasions when they actually do go out in public with you, they seem kind of aloof. They seem a little detached and they almost seem embarrassed to be seen with you in public. Well, again, please don't raise your hand and no need to blurt out your answer, but just take a few moments and in your heart and in your mind, consider which of the following scenarios would you rather have? Scenario A or scenario B? For most of us, that's an extremely difficult question to answer because the reality is we want both, don't we? I mean, to be sure we want our spouse or our parents or our kids or our friends to yes, treat us well in public but we also want them to treat us right when there's no one around and there is no audience. You see, most of our lives are actually made up of those private setting moments, aren't they? And it's in these moments when no one else is around, when there is no audience, when our loved ones don't merely treat us well in public, if they know that it's proper and fitting to not only treat us well in public, but also when we're at home, they treat us well. Well, when that happens, when you have a spouse or a friend that treats you right in public and in private, that's when you know you've got something authentic and genuine and healthy but if you're someone who's ever loved someone who's only ever shown affection and love and appreciation for you in public, they only do it when there's an audience around and you know the absolute pain that comes with wondering, do I have a real relationship here or is this simply a farce and my relationship is nothing more than a show? Well, in today's passage, Jesus is going to show us how we can keep our relationship with God from turning into a farce and a sham. Today, as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, we're gonna encounter three prayer don'ts, three ways in which Jesus says, do not pray this way. He warns us, don't pray this way if, if you want to ensure that your relationship with God is authentic genuine and sincere. So in this morning, I wanna invite you to grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter six, and we're gonna begin in verses five and six. There we read, Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The first don't we encounter this morning is simply this. Jesus warns us, don't make a show of your prayer life. You see, in verse five, Jesus says that there are certain religious types of people that absolutely love to just so happen to be at a busy intersection when it's time to pray. They love to pray in groups with crowds around them. They love to pray in congregations. They love to look pious and spiritual. And Jesus says, if you're a follower of his, don't be like that. Rather, want you to go into your closet or and go to this room in your house And I want your prayer life to really happen in private and in secret. Don't make a show of your prayer life. Well, depending on the translation that you have, your passage might say, go into a room or a hidden room or go into a closet and close the door behind you and pray. But does Jesus expect us to follow this command literally? I mean, are there any times in the New Testament when Jesus goes into a small room or a closet and closes the door behind him and prays? It doesn't happen. It doesn't show up at all in the gospels. But the principle of that, getting alone and in private and spending time in communion with the Father through prayer, Jesus does this time and time again. In Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, it says... Great crowds were gathering around Jesus to be healed of their infirmities, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Matthew 14, 23, after Jesus dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there all alone. Mark chapter one, verse 35, similarly, we see Jesus would rise very early in the morning while it was still dark, why would he do that? He would do that to depart and find a desolate place and there he would pray. You see, Jesus isn't telling us that if we want to be obedient to him, we need to literally find like a pantry or a closet in our house and pray there. Remember, Jesus outside of perhaps a home in Capernaum that didn't even belong to him, He said he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Jesus didn't have a house, let alone a prayer closet. But what he did do is regularly get off on his own and in secret, in private, he would commune with God through prayer. And he tells us as his followers, don't be like the hypocrites. Your life is to happen praying in secret and in private. But this raises a question, doesn't it? Is Jesus saying here that his followers should only ever pray in private, that it's always inappropriate to pray in public or to pray with others? Of course not. Uh, We know from Acts chapter one, that the early church would gather together for corporate or communal prayer. Acts chapter one, verse 14, speaking of the disciples and others, it says, with one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And by the way, this shows up time and time again in the book of Acts. We also know that the apostle Paul actually would go out of his way to tell people he was praying. And you might go, well, how does that sort of jive with what Jesus says here about making sure that your prayer life takes place in secret and in private? Well, Paul writes to this protege sort of someone he is mentoring, a younger pastor by the name of Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, we see an example of this. In 2 Timothy, Paul writing says this to young Timothy. I thank my God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you, Timothy, in my prayers night and day. Think about that for a minute. Paul is praying privately for Timothy, but he's actually going out of his way to tell Timothy, hey, buddy, I'm praying for you. Why is he doing this? Well, you might think, well, perhaps he's trying to look pious or spiritual. Maybe he's violating the very command that we see Jesus give in our passage today. But what really is going on here is Paul is not trying to look more pious than he actually is. Paul is wanting to encourage Timothy someone who struggled with confidence and courage. And he's saying, Timothy, I want you to know, brother, I'm praying for you. So here would be an appropriate example of someone sharing their private prayer life with someone else, not to glorify themselves, but to encourage others. So it seems that it is appropriate at times to pray with others and to even tell people we're praying for them. But just in case there's any doubt left, let's look at the life of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, when he raises Lazarus, he too prays publicly. By the way, he does this on a number of occasions. But in the gospel of John, Jesus is here at this scene. And if you're familiar with the story of Lazarus, Lazarus has died. He's been dead for several days. And Jesus comes there and he voices a prayer in the presence of other people. It says this in John chapter 11, verses 38 through 42. Jesus deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I know that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of people standing here that they may believe That you sent me. And then, of course, if you're familiar with this account, Jesus raises Lazarus and tells him to come forth. The bottom line here is in all three of these examples, there is public prayer that is sanctioned in the New Testament. It is proper and appropriate and good to pray with other people and to pray in public at times. But what Jesus is saying in our passage this morning is while that is true, the bottom line is this the meat and potatoes of our prayer life should happen in secret and in private. That's really where the majority of our communing with God should take place in private and in secret. You know, I don't know how many of you enjoy sharing photos and videos on social media of family experiences or travels or concerts you go to or ball games you go to. I know I certainly do that. I like to share those moments in part so that relatives that live far away can kind of see that or see the girls or, you know, just learn a little bit about how our family's doing these days. We also do it also just to kind of have a record for ourselves later on to hopefully go back and look on. But I'm sure many of you, if we were to ask today, would say, yeah, I share pictures of Christmas morning and vacations and different things with the kids or the grandkids or things that I do with my friends. Many of us do that. But I found an extreme example of this on YouTube. And I'm just curious, show of hands, how many people here have ever heard of family vloggers? Family vloggers, you've heard of this phenomenon? Of all the bizarre things on YouTube, this might be one of the most strange things I've ever encountered. Although there are some family vloggers that judiciously share moments from their lives, there are some examples of people that basically have turned their lives into a 24 seven reality show where their living room is basically transformed into a set and they film virtually everything and broadcast it out to the entire world. Some of these family vloggers record and broadcast things like the birth of their children, their children's first steps, their child learning how to ride a bike, their child brushing their teeth in the morning and getting ready for school, reading bedtime stories to their children, and their whole tuck in kind of uh, procedure. They'll, They'll film all that and then they'll just sort of broadcast it out to the world. Now hear me today, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with sharing moments of your life with wisdom and some judicious spirit on social media. But I think it's strange and a bit unhealthy and creepy With some of these family vloggers, that really it is almost like 24-7, they are just broadcasting their lives. My issue is simply this they are taking some of the most precious and beautiful and intimate and just amazing shared experiences and utterly desecrating them. Because instead of being present in the moment and instead of spending that time focused on that child or that grandchild or that spouse or that friend or that experience, they've taken themselves out of the moment and traded in what should be lifelong, beautiful, precious memories to turn their life into a bit of a reality TV show that they kind of just broadcast to the world, that's sad. These would be priceless moments and memories that they could look back on decades later are absolutely squandered and ruined so that they can put their lives out there in hopes that they get people to hit the like button and smash that subscribe button. Well, whenever we take our most precious and intimate way of communing and connecting with God, that is our prayer life, And we begin to broadcast that for other people to see we are no different than these family vloggers. I mean, what could be more precious and intimate than spending time alone with the father in prayer? And what Jesus calls out in the religious leaders in his day is they took that opportunity and absolutely desecrated it and turned it into a performance for other people to see. A few months back, I was on Instagram and I came across this post you're gonna see up here on the screens. Uh, There was a young woman that was driving and uh, as she was driving, she pulled out her phone and began to start uh, a live video. And uh, as you could probably tell from the, the text on the screen, She grabbed her phone, she started going live, and she said, quote, felt the Lord asked me to turn on my camera to show someone what prayer looks like today. And then she proceeded to pray on Instagram for several minutes before ending the video. Now I wanna assume that this girl's motives were awesome and I certainly don't wanna stand in judgment or condemning this act. Maybe the Lord did tell her to do this. But I have to say, if I'm being honest with what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter six about going into this closet and praying to God in secret and in private, it is awfully hard for me to square that command with an activity like broadcasting someone's personal prayers on Instagram. Whatever you make of this, and again, my point here is not to be critical of this girl. It's simply to ask the question, how obedient are we being with this command to not make a show of our prayer lives? That is what Christ calls his disciples to do. Continuing in Matthew chapter six, we come to verse seven. And in verse seven, we read, when you do pray, I also don't want you to heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Here we come to our second don't this morning. And it's simply this, Jesus cautions us, don't mistake quantity for quality. Don't mistake quantity for quality. Now, lest you misunderstand me, I'm all for people spending long periods of time in prayer. That is and can be a wonderful and beautiful thing. In fact, we're commanded to spend a lot of time in prayer. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17. There we see in these short words, these short verses, we're told to rejoice always, and catch this, pray Without ceasing. I'd say that's a lot of time dedicated to prayer. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, there we see one day Jesus told his disciples a story so that they should always pray and never give up. And then finally in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, we are told under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion to stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Hear me this morning, quantity is great. When it comes to prayer, long periods of time spent communing with God is absolutely wonderful. But having said that, it's important for us to realize there are certain kinds of long prayers that God does not accept. Isaiah chapter one, verses 13 through 15, the prophet brings this correction to the nation of Israel that was going through the religious motions, but their hearts were far from God. This is the message given by God through the prophet. God says, stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath, which God commanded them to observe, by the way, your special days for fasting, all of that is now sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me and I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, catch this now, I will not look though you offer many prayers, that's high volume, that's a lot of time spent in prayer, though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. You see, God is all for us having lots of quantity when it comes to prayer. But the point this morning is this, he is far more interested in high quality prayer from his disciples than he is high quality quantity prayer. He's much more concerned about our focus, about our sincerity, about our effort than he is our word count. Colossians chapter four, verse two puts it this way. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Don't, Don't race past that. We are to devote ourselves to prayer. Yes, spend lots of time in prayer. That's a good thing to do. What is the manner in which we are to do it? We are to do it with an alert mind, focused, paying attention, and a thankful heart. God's trying to get our attention here. Don't give a big, long, junk prayer. Be focused, be sincere, and by the help of the Spirit, do your best to pay attention. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 19, Paul says this, speaking of himself and these gatherings with other believers, Paul says, in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. And I suppose if Christ were here today, he might say something like, I would rather you utter five sincere words in your prayer closet than 50,000 empty phrases. You see, there's a big difference between running errands with your spouse and getting dressed up and going out on a date night with your spouse. There's a big difference between scrolling on your phone in proximity of your kids or grandkids and spending focused time on them, taking them to a park, pushing them on a swing, or playing catch. And this really is a principle for all kinds of relationships. It doesn't really matter if it's with your spouse, if it's with your children, if it's with your parents, if it's with your friends, or most importantly, if it's with the living God, it's important we understand quality matters. And there is a big difference between junk time spent together and quality time spent together. Quick practical tip before we leave this point for our final point, and that is this. If you struggle to stay focused in your prayer life, and my suspicion is all of us do who attempt to be devoted to prayer. If you struggle with staying focused, if your mind wanders, if it's hard to stay on task, a tip I've learned that's been helpful for me is keep a notepad near you. And then when that appointment or that errand or that thing enters into your mind, that's taking your focus off of praying, spending time communing with the Lord, jot it down, and then you can kind of give yourself permission to not worry about forgetting about it because you've written it down. Now, I suppose you could do this with a smartphone, but for me, just speaking from experience, a smartphone being near me is gonna present a lot more opportunities for distractions than help removing distractions, but it's a helpful tip nonetheless, and maybe it will be helpful for you as well. Bottom line, Jesus warns us, don't confuse quantity with quality. Finally, in Matthew chapter six, we get to our last verses here. He doesn't just say in verse seven, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. He also says, don't be like them. Why not? Here's your reason. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Here's our final point this morning. Jesus warns his disciples, when it comes to your prayer life, don't lose sight of who you're talking to. Don't lose sight of who you're talking to. Next week, Pastor X is gonna be teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, you know it begins with our Father. In many ways, if we can get that straight in our minds, our prayer life will take care of itself. Jesus tells us, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the pagans. Remember who you're talking to well, how did the Gentiles pray? How did the pagans pray? If Jesus is warning us, hey, don't be like them, don't think like them, don't pray like them, how did the Gentiles pray? How did the pagans pray? And, and in what way is Jesus warning us to not follow that example? Well, if we wanna see a good picture of how the Gentiles would pray, probably one of the best examples of this would be from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 26 through 29. And in that passage, you might be familiar, there's a showdown where the prophet of God, Elijah, is having this sort of showdown with the prophets of Baal. And what they decided was this, Elijah says, I'm gonna build an altar to the Lord and you prophets of Baal, go ahead and build an altar to your God. And then we'll both pray And whichever God sends down fire from heaven, that is the real God. So that's the stage that is set. And here we see how the prophets of Baal go about this business. 1 Kings 18, beginning in 26, says they prepared one of the bulls to put on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal. How long did they do this? Well, they did it from morning until noontime. And they shouted, oh, Ball, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, started hobbling around a little bit on the altar they had made. Figured we have done this for a few hours. Let's try to spice it up. Maybe he's not paying attention here. Let's get Ball to notice us. They start dancing. And Elijah sees this and he starts snickering to himself. He says, what are these guys doing? And then he starts mocking them. Elijah says, you need to shout a little louder. Surely, Baal's a God. Maybe he's daydreaming or he's off relieving himself somewhere. Elijah continues mocking them. He says, maybe your God's on some trip or maybe he's asleep and he needs to be awakened. So then these prophets, not only were they spending a lot of time in prayer, but they begin to shout louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until not blood trickled out, until blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no message. See, these prophets of Baal are, feeling as if they gotta get their God's attention. He's not paying attention to them. And even if we do get his attention, we gotta somehow move this God to do what we're asking. He's reluctant, he's aloof, he's distant. And so they carry on for hours shouting and dancing and cutting themselves and offering animals and sacrifice and nothing happens. Well, that's a picture of how the pagans and the Gentiles would pray and it really reveals the kinds of things they believed about God. R.T. France says it this way, speaking of the pagans and how they pray, instead of trusting a father to fulfill their needs, they think they must badger a reluctant deity into taking notice of them. Jesus says, if you're a follower of his, Don't think like that. Don't pray like that. Don't insult God like that. You see, if you are in Christ, it's important that you remember who you are praying to. You're praying to your father who according to verse eight, knows what you need before you even ask him. Some time ago, I had a neighbor who was a buddy of mine and he knows I'm a pastor, knows I'm a Christian. So he was telling me he was having a real tough time getting an appointment for a medical procedure and it was kind of coming down to the wire because he had some travel planned. And if he didn't get it done ahead of time, it was gonna probably ruin uh, this vacation he had planned. And so I told him, well, I'll be praying for you about that. And a few weeks or so go by, and then I was walking around on my block, and then uh, we bumped into each other, and I kind of said, you know, hey, how are things going? And he said, I have to thank you. I got my appointment, and we're going to be able to get this procedure taken care of before I go on vacation. I was like, that's awesome. He said, I just really want to thank you. And I said, oh. I appreciate that but please don't thank me thank God to which he said to which he said the following Well thanks for letting him know <laughs> I hope you know that we never inform God of anything God has no blind spots when we pray we're not making him aware of a health relational, financial, whatever situation that he was previously unaware of. He knows what we need before we even ask. And what makes that even better is he not only knows it, he cares for us and he loves us. Two of the most beautiful verses in the scriptures to me come from Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. And they really exemplify the fact that God not only has perfect knowledge, that he has no blind spots, that we never need to inform him about anything, but they also show us he not only is all knowing, but he is all loving. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. Jesus says, what's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Any bird that falls out of the sky, God's aware of that all across the globe. None of them can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And for us, he says, even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. You know, sometimes we worry about God not knowing or caring about the details of our lives. But can you think of anything more boring than how many hairs we have on our head? And yet Jesus says, God knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows all the details of our lives. He knows all the blind spots we have. And he not only knows those things, he not only knows how many hairs are on our head and all the intricate details of our lives, he says, He knows it. He doesn't want us to be afraid because in the sight of God, we are much more valuable than a whole flock of sparrows. The bottom line is this. God wants us to remember when we're praying to him who we are praying to. I'm going to read these verses one last time, then we'll close, but listen for the word father because that really gives us the right orientation and framework for all of our prayer lives. When you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Grace Fellowship, when we pray to God, if we are in Christ, we are not praying to an uncaring, uninformed, cold, distant, reluctant deity somewhere out there in outer space. Rather, we are praying to our heavenly father who not only knows all things, it's not only all knowing, but he also is all loving and the very hairs on our head are all numbered. And so this week, when you spend time in prayer, and I hope you do, I hope you'll remember that Jesus gives us three don'ts to keep us on the right track with making sure we have integrity with our relationship with him. He wants us to make sure that we're not making a show of our prayer lives. He wants us to remember that quality is far better than quantity. And he wants you to remember, if you're a child of God, if you've been redeemed by Christ, when you pray, you're praying to a father who is all-knowing and all-loving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity contained in these verses, and we thank you that they help keep us on the right track. Lord, each and every one of us is at risk of glorifying ourselves and turning something as pure and beautiful and precious as our relationship with you into some sort of a show or performance. God, please help us to catch ourselves when we do that, to confess it as sin when we do that. And Father, I pray that each and every person here would grow in knowing the bliss that comes with communing with you in secret, in private, and the glory that you show when your presence is really felt in those moments. God, would you teach us at Grace Fellowship to be a church that prays like this? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.